Luke chapter 7, verse number 11. And it came to pass the day after that Jesus went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And the Lord Jesus delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us. And that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might glean a blessing from this short scripture. May we see the Savior in the same way that they saw him that day, high and lifted up. May God the Father be glorified in God the Son. Raise the dead, we ask. And excite the disciples, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The other day I read a story of a gospel minister whose sister lived with him and his family. The woman loved the Lord and would often go out in the evenings to listen to other preachers declare the word of God. One night when she came home, her brother asked her, Did you hear a good sermon tonight? She replied in a disappointed voice, She had not. But she had seen a good sermon on the way to the meeting house. Quizzically, he asked, you, you saw a sermon? She said, yes, as I walked down the street towards such and such a church, a funeral procession passed me. Perhaps you don't think of them in this way, but every funeral preaches the same common sermon. It reaches back to the very beginning of humanity and testifies to the truth of God's declaration In the day thou sinnest, thou shalt surely die. Adam, in the day that you sin, in the day that you rebel and disobey me, you will die. Adam and Eve did die that day, and so did all of their children and grandchildren down to this very day. Today, people won't die simply because they get old or they were in an accident, or uh, they got sick, or there was a murder. People die because of the root cause of death, which is sin. And God said that he would judge sin with death. So everyone dies. There has never been a funeral of anyone who was not a sinner in the sight of God, at least at some point in time. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Yet, with that being true, from time to time there have been interruptions in that sermon. There have been occasions when the funeral procession didn't get to the cemetery. There was an automobile accident and the hearse was disabled and not able to get there. Uh, terrorists these days sometimes target crowds of people who come to bury their dead. Historically, there have been occasions when the enemy, the Indians, attacked while the settlers were out there burying one of their children. But we have in this scripture an interruption of a very different kind, obviously. It was as if the preacher was preparing one sermon, but the Holy Spirit came along and redirected his heart to another sermon, a more joyful sermon. Or the man who was overseeing the funeral was replaced by a better preacher than the one who was scheduled. The Lord Jesus, with his disciples, a large number of his disciples, apparently not just the twelve, and then a large group of curiosity seekers came down from Capernaum to the village of Nain where they met a funeral procession. Christ then stopped that funeral, manifested his glory, and the mourners went home rejoicing. And those that had come with Christ were awestruck, praising the Lord. The sermon which was being preached about sin and death was changed to a more glorious message about life. Looking at this potential funeral as a sermon, let's consider the primary illustration and its lessons. First of all, there was that little community of Nain. This is the only time that it's mentioned in the Bible, right here. Nowhere else. It was an insignificant little place in the country. It was off the beaten path. There were no lakes nearby. There were no rivers nearby. It was a dot on the map, essentially. That was it. Few people lived there. There were no reasons for tourists to come by and visit. And yet, the Lord went there to this insignificant little place. The Lord went there. Cities like Babylon, Nineveh, they come and go and they have their glory for a time. Here is this little dot on the map, glorified by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation in illustration of this young man. It lay 20 to 30 miles from Capernaum. As a crow flies, it was 20 miles. To get from Capernaum to Nain was more like 30 miles. In Capernaum, the day before, 
Jesus had raised the servant of the centurion. Between Nain and Capernaum was Mount Tabor. So you didn't go straight from Capernaum down to Nain. You had to go around what was considered to be a mountain in that particular part of the world. And Nain was not far from the border with Samaria. It was almost in the no man's land between Galilee and Samaria. I think we can say that Christ and his disciples were not out for a leisurely stroll. There was a purpose involved. Verse number 11 says that he intended to go into that city. And I'm assuming that he did eventually. It may have been Jesus' intention to stay there for a while. Or it could be that he was only going to spend the night there and get a meal there in the evening. We don't know. He could have been on his way to Jerusalem. But remember, most Galileans refused to take this route to go from Capernaum or the other cities up there down to Jerusalem. They preferred to go east to the Jordan River, go down the east side of the river down to Jericho, and then in the process of getting to Jerusalem, avoid Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans, we just don't get along. But if Jesus was going to Jerusalem on this case, then I am reminded of another occasion when Jesus must go through Samaria because there was a woman he intended to save. There was a whole city that he intended to evangelize. Many of the people there he intended to save. Whether or not that was the case here, I am still convinced this was no accident that Christ met this group of mourners headed outside the city to the Nain public cemetery. This special sermon was Holy Spirit orchestrated to enhance Jesus' reputation and to glorify his Father in heaven. Verse number 17 says, This rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. The word rumor here is logos, which is most often translated word. It wasn't just gossip. In other words, Jesus, in this event, enhanced the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. People were talking about him and what took place here. Now, I admit that preachers, in the heat of the sermon, I'm guilty. Brother Austin probably is not. But uh, from time to time, preachers say outlandish things. And sometimes those statements aren't exactly accurate. For example, I've heard some say, Now, when Jesus went to Bethany, where Lazarus had died, he went to the place where the body was laid. I've heard people say that uh, if Christ had not said, Lazarus, come forth, then all of the bodies in that cemetery would have come forth. He had to get specific. 
I've heard some say that if he hadn't been specific and said, Lazarus, come forth, then all of the dead bodies in all the world would have come alive again. Now, that's pretty stupid. We're not supposed to say that word. I apologize. Uh, (laughs) While it's true that Christ raised several dead bodies during his earthly ministry... And we never read that he was ever present at someone's burial. Nevertheless, that's a pretty hard statement to trust. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if Jesus was present at the funeral of Joseph, his mother's husband. It's quite likely that he was. He was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. So it wasn't that he was supposed to avoid dead bodies. Going on, I have also read that in the pages of God's word, all the dead who are raised to life again were relatively young. Think back to the days of Elijah and Elisha. Young people. Maybe that fits into your upcoming series. In the New Testament, young people again. Whether or not that is actually true, it was true in this particular case. And in this case, the Lord said, Young man, arise. Young man, arise. The body being carried out of the city was that of a young man. Not a child and not a full adult. A young man. And by the way, we have that information because the Lord shared it with us. Luke didn't tell us about the age of this young man. Christ did. He said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. The omniscient Lord Jesus Christ knew the details of the case. All of the details. He knew what time the procession would leave the city. And I believe that he was deliberately there at that point for that purpose. Maybe I'm being... A little. Too much. That's what I believe. He knew that Luke, he knew before Luke could tell us that he was, this young man was the only son of a widow. Luke does tell us. But the Lord knew that ahead of time, of course. And he knew the age of the deceased. And by what is said of his age, that young man was either in or very near The prime of his life. Perhaps never stronger physically than he was at that point. Unless he'd been ill for some time. Christ knew, but we don't know what killed him. Was it sickness? Was it an accident? Did he suffer very long? We might ask these sorts of questions, but they really aren't important. The only... The only thing that was important, the only fact of the matter was he, at this point, was dead. Not partially dead. Completely dead. In addition to a lesson on the omniscience of the Son of God, another which flows out of this is obvious to us who are over uh, our... Three decades, or three score and ten. Death can take anyone 
at any time. It often takes the elderly. I don't wish to hurt anyone. My wife got news today that her cousin's son died yesterday, I guess it was. Judy said, I babysat for that young man as a, as a little infant. We did not know anything about David. Didn't know if he was sick. or We still don't know how he died, but he died. It happens. It happens. It often takes the elderly, but death can take the child. Death can take the baby. And any young man in the prime of his life, with a bright future ahead of him, with lots of hopes and plans and dreams, can leave this world in a moment of time through an accident, through a murder, through an act of God. In this case, that mother was not prepared for her son's death. But of course, no mother ever is. And I'm reasonably sure that that young man was not ready either. This was probably a surprise. Repeating Austin somewhat this morning, if you are not prepared to die, you are not prepared to live. If you don't have faith to live, you don't have faith to die. How can someone prepare? Well, that's the sermon that is being preached in this scripture. When the Lord saw the grieving mother, he had compassion on her, and he said unto her, Weep not. You and I are exhorted to weep with others when they weep. And Jesus gives us an example of that very thing. He cares about people. Even people who may not know him, who do not love him. Picking on Judy this morning. My wife heard some very sad news on Thursday. And immediately her eyes welled with tears. It's the sort of person she is. Similarly, when Christ saw the tears and heard the weeping of this woman... He was moved with compassion on her. But that doesn't mean that he overlooked the facts which lay behind this bit of history. In this case, the Bible doesn't tell us that he had compassion on the deceased, even though that may have been the case. If this boy was killed while committing some crime, Christ was not telling the mother, oh, it's okay. It wasn't okay. There's no reason to think that Jesus was condoning any sort of wickedness involved in this situation. But in his unnatural humanity, Christ's heart went out to this mother. And in that in no way conflicted with his divinity. Perhaps it is an illustration of his divine nature. Speaking of which, consider what he said to the poor woman. He said, weep not. 
If I walked up to a grieving widow or a sorrowing mother as she was about to bury her only child and I said what Jesus said, it would be impertinent. It would be unkind. Out of place, perhaps. There are a lot of dumb things that are said and done at funerals. You probably witnessed several yourself. But to tell a grieving mother to stop her blubbering would be the height of rudeness. But of course, you and I aren't the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus has different privileges and prerogatives. He could have said, please dry those tears because I'm going to give you great joy. But he didn't say that. He said, weep not. Verse 14. He came and touched the bier and they that bear him stood still. And Jesus said to the young man, arise. When he walked over to whatever the means were that they were carrying this body out of the city, he laid his hands on it and the little group stopped. Was this a simple stretcher? Was it a coffin that was open in some fashion? Was the body wrapped the way Lazarus' body was wrapped and the Lord Jesus was wrapped for his burial? I have a few unanswered questions, which I suppose really aren't that important, or the Lord would have told us. He came and touched the bier and said to them, And they that bear him stood still. And Jesus said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. I can't help but notice the authority with which Jesus spoke. Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. Christ didn't call on the name of his Father to lift up the fallen. Neither did he ask the Father's authority, God's authority to do so. He simply said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. He wasn't like Elijah at the top of Mount Carmel, praying that God would be glorified in the resurrection of this fire or this child. He wasn't like Elisha laying his body over the top of the dead child. And when the young child arose, when the young man arose, we don't read of Jesus thanking the father for giving him the authority or the power to raise him. Jesus said, young man, I say, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. As I'm sure you are aware, Luke was not there that day. He came along much later. He was given this information by others, or perhaps directly by the Holy Spirit, but he was not an eyewitness to this. Either way, what he wrote was through the inspiration of God. But oh, how I wish that he could have given us a bit more information. I'm particularly curious as to what the young man said. He sat up and they took the Velcro off his face and whatever was there and he began to speak. What did he say? What what did he say? 
I, I won't even speculate on what it might have been. The Lord might have commanded him, speak nothing about the other side. Don't say a word about that. Perhaps his first words were filled with praise to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I appreciate the restoration of this life. Praise and thanksgiving should have come very early in the conversation that began at that point. Then the Lord Jesus, the young man's savior from death, delivered him to his mother. The woman's sorrow was turned into rejoicing. In Jehovah's favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 30, verse number 5. Now let me re-emphasize one particular uh, uh, lesson and uh, draw out some others. Please notice that the Lord Jesus initiated everything that was good in this episode. The young man died because he was born with the same sin nature as everyone else. As by one offense, judgment came upon all under condemnation. But by one man's disobedience, many, many were made sinners. Death hath reigned, excuse me, sin hath reigned unto death. I shouldn't chop up these verses. Romans 5, 18, 19, and 21. Paul tells us in Romans 3, 11, there is none that seeketh after God. This guy wasn't seeking God. He was dead. He wasn't looking for the Lord. He was physically and spiritually dead, incapable of doing anything in order to receive God's blessing. The only thing this young man contributed to the story was sin. Then he died. But the Lord Jesus went to him with love and, if I might so say, irresistible grace, saying, Arise! Live! And he that was dead sat up immediately beginning to enjoy the new life that Christ was giving to him. It might be argued that the dead man previously had no ears to hear, but he heard that. God broke through the deafness. It should be obvious that he had no ability to rise or to sit up because he was dead. But contained within the command of Christ was the ability to obey. Don't ask me to explain how. I just, I see it there. His ability to sit up came from God. He responded to the command of Christ. This resurrection was all about and because of Christ and the power of God. What was the conclusion of that day's sermon? What was its ultimate purpose? And there came a great fear. There came a fear on all and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. As you probably know, the word fear as we find it in the word of God is multifaceted. It can mean terror or it can mean reverence depending on the context. The people who witnessed this miracle, including Jesus' disciples, 
along with a ragtag bunch of others that had come down from Galilee. There were people there from Nain. In fact, Nain was such a small community that nearly everybody in town was there to witness all of this. And much people of the city was with the poor grieving mother. And everyone from the disciples to the citizens were filled with either of those two fears. If he can do this, what else can he do? Or, wow, I'm awestruck. For a few years, I pastored a small church in a small town. Similar to Nain in several ways, on the border, out of the way, etc., etc., and small. And I learned firsthand that the cultural atmosphere in a tiny community is quite different from a mid-sized community like uh, Post Falls or Coeur d'Alene or, or Spokane. For example, when we had a funeral, and we had several, the few, very few months that I was there, when we had a funeral, even though most of the citizens of the community did not know the deceased, as the funeral cars went past, everyone stopped what they were doing. And if men were wearing a cap, they took it off in respect for what was taking place. The city's cemetery was right next to the golf course. We drove past the golf course and all of the golfers stopped what they were doing, took off their visors, and just stood there for a moment while we passed. Things were different. It was, this was very much a village funeral. It most likely affected everyone in that tiny community in some way. And when the young man sat up and began to speak, the people of Nain, along with Jesus' disciples, began to glorify God. I would guess that there was a mixture of terror and reverence. Several began to say, a great prophet is risen up among us, not fully understanding how great this prophet really was. And God hath visited his people, as indeed he had. I can't tell you for sure what they were thinking when they spoke of the great prophet, but they may have been thinking back to Moses' prophecy. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto him, unto him, like unto me, unto him shall the people hearken. Deuteronomy 18, verse number 15. In our song service, I asked that we read from Psalm 106. Let me repeat the first few verses in the light of this context. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. He is good. His mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praises? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. Visit me, visit me with thy salvation. 
that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. There was a day years ago when the Lord Jesus visited the insignificant little town of Nain at the edge of Galilee. The Almighty God visited his people Blessing a recent sermon on sin and righteousness and judgment. The great prophet, the great son of God, visited with grace, showing anyone who is willing to see that there is an answer to sin and judgment. In Christ, a dead sinner was restored to life before his God. Essentially, he was born again. Started life again. It was all because of the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus. Are you represented in that sinner dead in the sight of God? The Savior is standing before you this morning. He's putting a hand on your future casket. And he's asking you, Don't you want life? Won't you take the eternal life that I'm offering you? Will you this morning call out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a dead sinner. In humility and repentance for your sin and your spiritual condition, won't you... Put your faith in the one who can give you life. Right there where you sit. As the Lord leads your heart. Won't you humbly ask the Lord to save you? For by grace are we saved through faith in Christ Jesus. In a moment we're going to sing a hymn entitled, Jesus is Calling. Do you hear his voice this morning? Do you feel the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Is the Lord speaking to you? I plead with you. Sit up. Respond. Yes. Take up the offer of this salvation in life. Mm-hmm. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Please stand.